Hello church, it's good to see you. Uh, this is uh, indeed a strange time. This is a time that I wish we could be together, that I could preach to you from the pulpit, that we could hear God's word together, that we could pray together, um, but in his providence we cannot, and that is indeed the topic that I'd like to think about tonight. <clears throat> in this time I'd like to encourage you from Psalm 31, and so if you have your Bibles I'd encourage you to open them. And if you can, I'd also encourage you to try and not read on your phone. Read God's Word on your phone for this reason alone. Because your phone is such a tool that can easily distract you. So if you're able, please put your phone in do not disturb mode or turn it off. And then look closely with me as we try and read Psalm chapter 31. I've been reading through <clears throat> an old Baptist pastor's sermon this week. And he preached on Psalm 31, 15, and he got me thinking about God's providence and about his control over our lives and our situations, especially in light of what's going on in our world right now. And as I studied through the text, I began to be very encouraged, and I hope you will be too as we study who God is and what Scripture says he does to care for his creation and to guide it and to move it to his intended ends, his intended goals. And so let's start by reading Psalm 31 together, which is full of much encouragement. And then we'll come back and look very closely at verse 15. <clears throat> Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my body and my soul also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. For those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against my life, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Rescue me from the hand of mine enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them silently go to Sheol. Let the lying lips <clears throat> be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and in contempt. O oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in the shelter from strife and tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, 
I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried out to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would bless this time, that you would encourage your saints, that we would reflect upon your providence, upon your care for your creation with much wonder, with much awe, that we would be able to rest in your sovereignty, knowing that you are good, that you are working things for our good and for your glory. Amen. As I said above, I'd like to reflect upon verse 15, really just the first half of verse 15, in which the psalmist proclaims, My times are in your hand. And this is a statement about God being in control over over our lives, which theologians refer to as God's providence. And so I want to deep think deeply about this statement and talk about some ways that it should shape our thinkings and ways that it bolsters our faith. And so the psalmist refers to his times. My times are in your hands, God. And what does he mean by times? What are his times? Well, we could say first it refers to his birth. The Lord has fixed the beginning of our times from before the foundation of the world. Just like God foretold of Abraham's son to come, he foretold of David's son who would reign on the throne, he foretold of Israel's king Josiah, he foretold of Jesus' birth, so too did he know and bring about your birth. Further, this doesn't merely refer to just your birthday, the day that you entered into this world, but to all of your life, who your parents are, when you will live. You live in 2020 as opposed to 1920 or 1820 or 3220. He's determined where you would be born, where you would go to school, whom you will marry if you will marry. Likewise, just like our birth is in God's hands, so too our second birth, the time of our second birth, is in God's hand. Some are called in their youth, Some are called in their old age. To use Jesus' parable, some workers are called into the vineyard to work at the third hour, some in the sixth hour, some in the ninth, and some in the eleventh hour. The timing of our physical birth and our new birth, our spiritual birth, is in God's hand. I've been teaching through the Baptist Catechism online, and question three speaks to this when it mentions that the Spirit is necessary to make the Word of God effectual in our salvation. Or to use the language from the Gospel of John, we must be born again. We must be regenerated. We must be converted. And that's one of the times that is in God's hand. And so just like you're not the cause of your physical birth, so too are you not the cause of your spiritual birth. We are completely dependent upon the initiative of the Lord in effectually calling us and timing our union with Christ. Third, just like our birth, our physical birth, and our spiritual rebirth are in the hands of God, so too are the times of all of the works of God in our lives. All the times when He feels very near to us, and the times where He feels distant. The times when He elevates us, and the times when we are lowered and disgraced. The times when we are praised, and the times when we are humiliated. The times when we are 
hurt and the times when we are healed, the times when we are together, and the times when we are isolated. All of these times are in God's hand. God was just as sovereign over the Hebrews when they were slaves in Egypt as when they were finally entering into the promised land of freedom. And likewise, God is sovereign in times of peace and harmony and sovereign over times of war and times of plague and times of pandemics. Every moment, every up and down, every good day and bad day, all of these times are in the hands of God. Fourth, our birth, our new birth, and every moment of our lives are in God's hands, but so too is the time of our death. All men are appointed to die once, and that appointment is set by our sovereign God. We have no ability to shorten or lengthen our days any more than we have the ability to keep the sun from setting. Some die young, and some die full of strength. Some die old and full of days. But God has set the limits of them all. Job 7 begins by speaking this way, Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Job speaks of man being like a hired worker whose limits are set by the master of the house, and that is us, and our limits are set by him and him alone. <clears throat> Finally, just like our birth, our new birth, our life, and our death are all in God's hands, but it doesn't stop there. Our resurrection is also in the hands of God. The timing of our resurrection is unknown to men and unknown to angels, even Christ, when he was on earth, said he didn't know, but that the Father knew the time. And we know that God is in control over that glorious day. Just as our fleshly body was knitted together by him, so too will our spiritual body be made in a glorious manner according to his benevolent timing. And this unknown timing is good for us because it keeps us watchful. It keeps us diligent. Christ himself said, watch therefore, since you do not know the hour that the master comes. We should expectantly watch for the timing of the coming of our Lord and long for the day that our resurrected bodies will be brought out in glory. And so we've examined major ways that our times are in God's hands. And us, now let's examine how it is that they are in his hands. And we'll answer this in three ways. We'll look at his timing, his power, and his providence. His timing, his power, and his providence. First, our times are in his hands as it relates to the timing. He's in control of the timing. We've looked at this in detail, but it's worth pressing a little more deeply. Think about it. <clears throat> every long red light you've ever sat at, every foul ball, every parking ticket, every stray rain shower, every particle of dust on your shelf right now, all of them, their timing and their placement are within the sovereign control of God. And this can be a great comfort to us because our God is all wise. Who, would we, who else would we want to be in control of the timing of all the things in our life? If God is good and God is wise, then why would we not want him to be in control of the timing of my life and all the events? For me to try and take control is utter foolishness. I am neither omniscient and able to see all things like he can, nor am I omnipotent and ever able to bring about my intention. So for me to try and be in control is foolishness. It's like a blind man who gets mad at this fully sighted man that's walking him around, and the blind man demands to take control of his journey for himself. We'd never give a blind man license to drive on our roads, and likewise, 
we'd not actually want us to be in control of every area of our lives. Otherwise, we'd end up wrecking it all. God is in control of the timing of all of our events. But even more than that, number two, God also has our times in His hand as it relates to His power. God's power. We can say that God has the power to bring about all that He intends. If we were in control, we'd certainly have some sort of plan as it relates to the timing of our events. But we'd have no actual way to bring them about. God, on the other hand, has not only the wisdom to know when to time everything, but He has the power to bring them about for His intended means. We can know that no storm, no sickness, no power of Satan, no political scheme of man, nothing can hinder God's power, unlike our power, which is brought to its knees by an enemy that nobody can even see or stop right now, a little virus. God has our times in, its ha- in His hands as it relates to His power. Third, Not only timing and power, but we can say that our times are in His hands as it relates to His providence. In God's providence, He orders, He controls, He guides, He superintends, He governs all things. And so, let me define providence for you. Providence, as a doctrine, refers to God's continuing act of divine power, where He preserves all things in being, He supports their actions, And he governs them according to his established order. And he directs them to their ordained ends. Or I can put it a little more succinctly, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, which says that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures. He orders them. And he orders all their actions to his own glory. And thus we can say that any good that happens to us is because of God's own benevolent providence did you have food to eat today did you have a bed in which you woke up this morning do you have a roof to keep you dry when it rains all of those things are because of god's good providence and we can say likewise that any evil that befalls us is by his very permission nothing happens to us outside of his sovereign control further the exact measure of good or evil that befalls us in any single event is according to His very will. Our times are in God's hand according to His timing, His power, and His providence. And so my final point tonight, I want to conclude by answering a single question. Why is this good news? Why is our times being in God's hands good news for us? And how can we apply this knowledge? Well, first, God's providence is good news to us because God Himself is good. If we have God as our Father, then we can trust that He is a good God that has our good at heart, at the heart of all of His plans. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 8, 28, when he says that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for their good. We may not be able to see how everything plays out in the end, but we can trust that God is good and that He is working for our good. But, if we have not been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, then we must recognize that God's goodness stands against us. Because He is good, He must necessarily punish wickedness and sin. A good God could not let injustice and sin go unpunished. So if you are outside of Christ... 
Then hear my words today and turn from your sins. Repent. Turn to Christ who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Read of Him in Scripture and cleave close to Him as the only one who can save your soul. And then you will have the goodness of God working for you and not against you. Likewise, this is good news for us. God's providence is good news for us because of the gospel. Now consider with me how much Jesus loves us. If God is in control over all persons and all times, then we need to remember that he was also in control over Jesus' times on earth. In the fullness of time, the Bible says, Jesus was sent to earth to be born of a woman. God was completely in control over the birth of Jesus Christ. Every aspect of Jesus' life, his sufferings, his death was in God's hands. God knew full well the terrible pain that Jesus would endure, and yet his love motivated him to be sent to die in our place. God cares so particularly for his people that he ordered the steps of the men that would condemn and kill his own son. God loves his bride so resolutely that he held in existence the very men that would whip Jesus. God meticulously nurtured the tree that would be cut down and would be hewn for his very own crucifixion. God sent the rains that would nourish the very thorny vines that would be pressed upon Jesus' brow. God formed the rock for the tomb in which Jesus' body would be laid. And he did all of this not because his bride was inherently lovely, not because his church was spotless and pure, but because he is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And for us Christians, this is so comforting because we are all tempted in every, every day to doubt God's goodness and to buck against his providence. We get impatient, which shows our unbelief that his timing is really for our good. We get frustrated with the hard times. We get bitter over the difficult situations. We get jealous when we see other people's good providences and we are envious of the other people's comforts and good gifts from God. Why can't I have that, God? Why do I keep having this problem in my life? Why can't this sin just go away? Why can't this burden go away? But Jesus died for all of that unbelief. He bore the punishment for it all on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And when we're united to Christ, we're given His very own Spirit who guides us into greater patience and trust. Trust where we can learn to lean on our Heavenly Father and know that His good plan is working for our good and for His glory. And we can rest in His sovereign government over all things. His sovereign ruling and ordering of all things in our lives. That's how we can learn to have peace in this life. Not by the absence or lack of storms and trials. That's not what I mean. But true peace in this life is found by having a, a humble confidence. Knowing that nothing happens to us outside of God's hands. And that everything is being ordered towards our good and toward God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we stand in awe thinking about how your sovereignty plays out even in the tiniest of meticulous details in our life. And Lord, I confess that too often we grow impatient. We think that we know what's best. We know how to plan things. We know how to run things. If, if you would get out of the way and just let us do what we need to do, then, then our lives would be better. But God, forgive us of our foolishness. Lord, help us to repent. 
Help us to see that you are good, you are wise, you are sovereign, and you are powerful, and to trust in your sovereign hands, even in times that are difficult. And help us to remember the cross, where Jesus died for our unbelief. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to close by just reading the last two verses of this psalm to encourage you. They say, Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong, and let your heart take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. Amen.